Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 252 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Jay Steinmetz, CEO of Barcoding Inc., which is a foundation he, uh, a company he started in 1997. He's also the CEO of Capture Tech. Jay is a board member for the Maryland Regulatory Reform Commission, the Maryland Business for Responsive Government, the Baltimore Efficiency and Economic Foundation, the Sinai Hospital of Baltimore, the University of Baltimore School of Business, and is a former board member for TEDCO and former chairman of TEDCO. Uh, Jay is also the owner of more than a dozen patents and is the founder of Modern Advocacy LLC. He has his hands in business, politics, uh, and Baltimore. So Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, Jay, is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? So I'm constantly looking at ways to make things better for nationally and within the state of Maryland and within the city of Baltimore. I have been on and I currently serve on the Regulatory Reform Commission for the state of Maryland Mm -hmm. under uh, Republican Governor Larry Hogan. Prior to that, I was on the Small Business Commission Mm -hmm. uh, under Governor, Democratic Governor Martin O'Malley. Mm -hmm. So I've been nominated and run, or I should say, contributed both for Democrats and Republicans because I don't consider myself a partisan player. What I'm trying to do is make things more efficient. I get it. I see it. I see why we're failing within the state and within the federal government. I see policies that are that have unintended consequences. This happens a lot. And I'm looking at all sorts of stuff, whether it's workers' comp, unemployment, EEOC, many different types EEOC of... EEOC is Equal Opportunity... Yeah, Commission. Equal, yeah, oppor- equal Employment right. Opportunities Commission. That's right. Yeah. So what I'm seeing is bad execution, good intentions that lead to bad results. And over the course of time, I'm seeing... Businesses finding it harder to compete, mm-hmm. companies shutting down. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had 2% growth for quite a number of years now, but in order to get 2% growth, we borrowed $9 trillion. Now, if I ran a business... And by we, you mean... The United States government. Right? Yeah. I mean, the numbers that we are putting on the books, the borrowing that we are putting on the books... What are the outcomes? They're terrible. They're not good outcomes. And we have unfunded liabilities in the tens of trillions of dollars. So that's not good either. Sounds like public debt is of great concern. I think so. I think that the idea that we can borrow anything and it has no um, bearing because we are the de facto currency is naive. I am not an economist. But tell I me am about right. the public debt that, or tell me about the debt that Barcoding Inc has had. I know that you've been involved in a few mergers and acquisitions. Sure, you, you acquired a uh, radio frequency identification tech company from Chicago. I'm not sure if it's public or, 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 or private knowledge that that you. I know that you acquired. I don't know if you used it with all cash or you had loans, but. Could you tell our listeners if barcoding has ever incurred debt and, and sure. borrowed money to run its business and, and what the relationship is between debt and, and being an entrepreneur and running your own business versus debt and running the United States of America? You know, it's kind of interesting because we have acquired a bunch of companies and because corporate taxes are so high, mm-hmm. it has 
a valid effect to want to acquire companies that may even not be doing well. And if they have like-minded businesses, you can post their losses into your gains and then pay less taxes. But so you're acquiring businesses that you don't necessarily want, oh, but just we, want no, the write-off. No, we, we actually um, have never really directly looked at it as a tax savings. Mm-hmm. However, in some cases it is. Mm-hmm. But the reason why we use debt is because we don't save a ton of money within the company. Mm-hmm. And why do we not save money? This is something that most people don't understand about business. Mm-hmm. All right, Most companies of relative size are C-corporations. Mm-hmm. C-corporations have to pay pretty high taxes. Okay, The standard rate for the federal is 35%. In the state of Maryland, I think it's 8%, maybe 7.5%. When you add that up, you're getting over 40% tax rates. So that means if you do save or do earn a million dollars... You're only taking home 600000 But again... When we use the word take home, uh-huh. that simply means we're keeping it in the company. Uh-huh. If I was to take it home, I pay taxes on that. So even if I was to take it as income, I have to pay taxes on it. At the standard tax rate, everybody who pay makes a lot of so money. So just in terms of your salary, Jay, first you'd pay the corporate income tax, then you'd have money. I'm Not you. Barcoding Inc. would pay the corporate income tax, and then you get your salary, and of course you would pay the personal income tax on that money that was already taxed for corporate. Well, all right. So... If I was to pay dividends to people or pay dividends to myself right. as a stockholder, I not just have to pay corporate taxes, but then I have to pay taxes again on the same money mm-hmm. as, as capital gains. It's different if I take it as, as a, if I increase my salary or give myself a bonus, mm-hmm. I don't have to pay corporate taxes on that. Uh-huh. So most companies will then just go ahead and bonus their CEOs or bonus their executive team all of the profits because why not? Take it home. That's what LLCs and S-Corps do. They basically become pass-through entities. Now, I am not a tax accountant. I am a business owner. But what I'm trying to get at is American businesses are over-leveraged because of tax policy. And that may not always be the case for big multinationals. Because if I was a big company, and by the way, we do build some things. Mm -hmm. If I was a big company, I'm incentivized to build it overseas. In many ways. Now, you say a big company. Just for our listeners' sake, you employ about 90 people in 16 states with Actually, about $50 million in annual revenues? No, no. Now, well, we've grown quite a bit since those statistics. So we're about 130 people. Uh-huh. We do about $80 million a year. And we have offices in, yeah, I think about 16 states and maybe 17 states and three countries. So, well, the United States being one. We have an office in England and an office in Canada. Huh. They're all English-speaking. And you also have a Dutch office That's for your right. Capture Tech. That's right. And Capture Tech is a joint venture now. I started that company years ago, but um, we have now created a joint venture where I am not the sole owner of the company, and we have a great partnership in developing manufacturing systems that track physical keys. And those keys are the kind that you would use for cars or for desks or for supply closets. So it's kind of interesting. What's happened is, you know, we've now gone to a keyless system, but there's so many conditions where people still have keys. And what we have is we created a lockbox. So when you go and you can go in and you can type in your code or use a a card key access, and it releases just the key you need and time and date stamps when you took it out and then tracks that you returned it. And it does it in a fairly unique way that nobody else does it, and it's allowing us to really... um, do some good things in the marketplace. 
Interesting. That seems to so so. Let's talk about the business for a minute, sure. um, and eventually, I'd like to get back to the business implications of bad policy making, which you I referenced earlier. Um, but you are in the business of barcoding. All of our listeners know about barcodes. You go to the supermarket, you buy a, an iced tea, you buy some bro- broccoli, whatever. Even on the apples, they have little stickers. Everything has a barcode on it. They swipe it, you get it. So this is the business of logistics. Are you? Did you? You didn't invent barcodes. Did your, you, what is your relationship to the history of barcoding in America, and what is it that you guys do specifically? What is your particular market? So. 60% of businesses, our business is between businesses. Mm-hmm. We live in the world of business to business commerce. We are not in the point of sale business. We are exclusively providing the technology to allow companies to be more efficient, accurate, and connected. Mm-hmm. And by using automatic identification technology, that is not exclusively do barcoding. We also do RFID, which stands for radio frequency identification. Mm-hmm. We do active and passive RFID, which includes low energy Bluetooth communications. Mm-hmm. We do GPS tracking. We we track everything, all sorts of stuff. Everything from and that's the key thing you were talking about earlier. Yeah, sure. We track keys, and that's just one segment of our business which has done well in the armored car world and has done well in the logistics world where you have lots of trucks and hmm. renting and things like that. So we are in big, large rental companies as well as in many different types of transportation companies. So you grew up out west, right? Actually, I did not. I grew up in Connecticut, West Hartford, Connecticut. You grew up in Connecticut, but you went to college in Arizona. That's right, from what I can remember. <laughs> Arizona is a fun place. Arizona State University is University ranked. University of Arizona. University of Arizona is. Uh, well, so, so you go down there, and, and, and then you end up moving from there um, to Silicon over Valley. To AccuScan and then Peak Technology? Well, let's start with um, I didn't even want a job out of college, and I um, forgot to show up to an uh, interview, and things got a little dicey, but I did have an interview from a company called the FMC Ground Systems Division, which manufactured army tanks, or in this case, the Bradley Fighting Vehicle, mm-hmm. which is not an official tank, mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. So you can imagine, not the place to have a defense contractor. <laughs> they were long for that area, but I um, decided that I needed a job, and they were willing to give me a job, so I said I was interested, and and I became a developer of application systems for tracking all the materials that they put onto these type of products. Did you study this before? I did. I was a developer. I was. I graduated with management information systems and operations management. So it was not a computer science degree, but it was a business information systems kind of okay. degree. Okay, so you have some background. So I did, and I was pretty good, except I really did not like working on mainframes when the opportunity came into a barcode tracking system for the company. I was like, I'm an expert, sign me up. <laughs> and then I started doing some reading, and I liked it. But I wasn't like the best developer, but I definitely enjoyed not working on mainframes, not setting my record control blocks and determining how much processing time. I mean, mainframes are a pain in the butt. So anyways. So you fell into logistics. I did. Barcoding. I did. And then I was buying a lot of, not personally, but the company was buying a lot of equipment from a company called AccuScan, headquartered in Georgia, but an office in Southern California. They said, hey, um, we love some of the stuff you're doing. Would you like to work for us? I mm-hmm. said, okay. So I moved down to Southern California, 
worked for them. They got acquired by a company in Maryland. They moved me here to manage the software operations of the company in Georgia out of Maryland. Mm -hmm. And that company fell on a little bit of hard times. And I took a leave of absence, went to India, came back and started a business with uh, a friend who turned out not to be a friend and proceeded to take some money and leave the state and leave me high and dry. So I started all over again. Yeah. And then I uh, continued, and I've grown the company from its original foundings to, you know, we're going to do 80 million plus this year. So uh, we've spoken previously about taxes, uh, debt. In Maryland, right now we're sitting in, in your office in Baltimore City. That's correct. And uh, there are a number of locations in Baltimore City that are tax-exempt. You have a lot of universities, you have government, state and, and municipal government office buildings, you have uh, ecclesiastical buildings. Um, and then, of course, uh, with the development of Harbor East, you have tax credits for developers over there. The question I'd like to ask you is about uh, providing large tax breaks to large corporations to keep them doing business in Maryland. Now, of course, Netflix has gotten about $40 million worth of uh, um, tax breaks in order to su supposedly keep their business in Maryland. You have uh, you have um, uh, Marriott, you have Lockheed Martin, you have a lot of different corporations that say, if you don't give us large tax breaks, we're going to take our business elsewhere. Jay, you are the CEO of a business. You determine where the headquarters of the business is. You've determined that it's in Baltimore. Are you, re are you receiving a large amount of tax credits from the state? And if, if not... Why are you choosing to remain in Baltimore uh, without receiving those large large tax credits? Wouldn't that be nice? These <laughs> tax credits for Jay. First of all, let's get one thing straight. Baltimore City alone has over 3,200 501c3 nonprofit organizations representing 33% of all the taxable income for the city of Baltimore. Okay, 33% of all the property tax income is non-taxable because we have created an environment that's not conducive for businesses to be here. Mm -hmm. Why? Look around. The property taxes in the city are double what they are in every surrounding county around. Imagine. Mm -hmm. Double. So you wonder why everybody who's here is non-taxable, or at least one-third of the people who are here are non-taxable. It is a ecosystem that is failing, and I hate to admit it because I'm double down on the long-term commitment to Baltimore City because I'm doubling down on my employees and on the environment, and I recently bought a building in the city to continue to prosper and to grow. But it's not easy growing in the city of Baltimore. There, there are advantages and there are disadvantages, but there are plenty of disadvantages. And as a medium-sized business or a small business, I don't know how you categorize it, I will tell you that we have all the disadvantages and very few advantages. Number one, we can't go to the Secretary of Commerce and he's certainly not going to come to us and say, hey, you know, guess what? Um, we're a small business that has 50, 50 employees in the city of Baltimore, and we need tax breaks. He's like, well, you live here already. No, we're not going to do anything for you. And by the way, I met with the Baltimore Development Corporation, BDC, at least a dozen times. Mm -hmm. and that's a dozen hours of wasted time, and I hate to say it. I mean, they've got great people there, and maybe they're going to help me now that we have a new building, but... The truth is, is their um, 
bag of tricks is very limited, and I think it probably works pretty well for developers and things like that. But Jay, I mean, owners not so much. Politicians are often guests on this show. They often are listeners to this show. So suppose they're listening. Say, well, you know, Jay so far has said there are very high corporate income tax rates in Maryland, seven yeah. and a, seven and a half percent Maryland corporate income tax for C corps. You said that property taxes are double uh, what they are in Baltimore County and Baltimore City. That that there's yeah. not enough of a tax base. So I think they may be scratching their head and say, well, we hear him saying all these reasons yeah. not to be here. So, and Why he's he already here? and he's already in 16 other states. Why not just move the headquarters to another? Well, it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I mean, you know. We have multiple offices. We have offices outside of Seattle and Linwood with 30 people in it. We have an office. We have two offices in Chicago, outside of Chicago, not in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people here because we started here. I started right down the street. I opened my door not calculating the difficulties of being robbed multiple times. That's happened to you? Of course. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And here's the best is every time they've tried to rob us and you can't spot the damage because they've set off the alarm, I get fined because, well, they didn't catch anybody. So the alarm went off by accident. Well, it may have gone off by accident, but it may not have. I mean, I've had my own bicycle stolen here. I've had two cars stolen personally, okay? But... I mean, I will first say that the cars were not stolen from my office. They were stolen from my house. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, it was a very inviting opportunity, let's just put it that way. I didn't, you know, I mean, for whatever, one of them was not in my possession at the time it was stolen. So the circumstances are that Baltimore is not an easy place, and very few people are making decisions to just pick up and move to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The crime is is not as bad because it's usually segmented to areas. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, you don't have a good education system. So I didn't say that, but that's just being said. We have high crime in general, so the perception is that it's an unlivable area for people outside of the city of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. In addition, the education system within the city is spotty at best, right? We have some good schools in a lot. We have very few good schools and lots of very bad schools. Mm -hmm. The problem with education and the problem with crime, those are consequences. Those are consequences of bad industrial policy over many, many, many years. That, I think, is the crux that needs to be taken by people. You know, the the message that needs to be taken by everybody. Have you thought of running for office yourself so you could put in good policy? Well, I've been trying to do it from the outside. You know, I have had rules, duplicate legislative rules that required businesses to make lists of chemicals that was separate from, you know, it was MDE instead of MOSH or whatever. I mean, there were there were different rules of the same type of requirements for different companies that were getting broadsided. If you own a business, you will fail to follow the rules, but you will probably not always be caught. It's just a matter of when somebody decides to look at you and how big you get. Because there are so many rules. It is so impossible to follow every rule. It's just a matter of time. I mean, I look at sales tax, for for instance. If you're not in Maryland and you decide to sell something in Maryland, you have to round up, not like you learn in math class, but you round up to anything. So if it's like $25 
38 cents point one, it goes up. It's rounded up. Only in the state of Maryland and one other state in the union. Mm-hmm. And each state has different definitions of what determines nexus. Nexus is when you have to set up a, uh, to pay taxes in the state. Each state has their own definition. So we've done installations in New Jersey, but New York may have different definitions of when you have to define whether you have to set up a taxable income state. So right now we're selling 49 other states, and we are in 17 states, so we pay taxes in those states. In other states, we may have to pay taxes if we've put boots on the ground at any point in time. If we've had bodies going there for more than a certain amount of time, and that definition of how much time is completely arbitrary to each state. So is that so I'd like to so so that's a bad so the taxation the sales tax policy is an example of a bad tax policy that has negative business implications is that correct Absolutely and we How sh- would you fix it It's very simple very simple There are 26 states that are small mm-hmm. that have all come together and created a standard operating body it's called the Streamlined Sales Tax Initiative SSTI and that creates uniformity of protocol. Uniformity of cro- protocol creates less chaos for business owners. It makes one standard way to do it, one standard form to apply for taxes. It makes life easy. And that goes against a lot of states because they use their proprietary tax laws and how to pay taxes, like New York, whether it's a certain borough or not. And, you know, I mean, to go after individual businesses in other states. There are people who work for the state of Illinois who live in Maryland, and all they do is go after Maryland-based businesses that are selling in Illinois. Hmm. And this is why many businesses across the country get audited every year by different states. And it's not like, even if they pass an audit, they still have to spend tons of time and money. I could tell you examples where the state of Maryland came in and audited us for property tax. Now, most people who don't own businesses don't understand that the desk that you're sitting in front of, I have to pay taxes on every year if I own it in this in my office. Yes, this desk and this computer, I'm required by law to pay taxes on those assets every year. It's like Virginia's personal property tax, but it's in Maryland it exists for businesses. Well, I think a lot of states have a personal property tax. And, yeah, okay, so if Virginia has a personal property tax every year, that's fine. But I, Maryland, I mean, I'm not aware because I don't live in Virginia. Right. But I can tell you that most people who don't own businesses don't understand that in the state of Maryland, I am disadvantaged as a business owner to buy equipment or buy assets that help me in my business mm-hmm. unless I follow some crazy laws that may allow certain things to be tax-exempt, which I have to hire accountants for to determine. All this stuff is kind of a racket. So we are talking about the public interest, right? Sure. And you sit on a half dozen boards or more, uh, some with the government, some with private or nonprofit entities. Um, And I guess the question is, why do you sit on these boards instead of just focusing only on running your business? Is it in your business interest, is it in the interest of barcoding Inc. that you sit on these boards and does your participation in these boards make Maryland more business friendly and reduce the burdens posed to you by state and uh, regulations or, or is there some other motivation that you have for sitting on all these boards? Are you, in what way are you, are you seeking, are you using these boards to advance the public interest? I 
love to learn. Mm-hmm. I love to learn about different types of ways things operate. I am a business owner. I find that a lot of these boards are not filled with business owners. They're filled with bankers, lawyers, and, and politicians. And so they don't have a frame of reference to understand the damage that is being done cumulatively by a thousand cuts by all these different programs. So I find that speaking out and talking to politicians, we are making some changes. And at a very minimum, I'm allowing people to think Mm-hmm. and to ponder the other side. I've had a political salon I've been running at my house for 10 years. I've had every gubernatorial candidate and every mayoral candidate, at least of the top tier, there were a lot of mayoral candidates, um, to discuss issues, to create visibility, to, to understand the unintended consequences of bad economic behavior. So, Jay... We are approaching the end of this podcast episode, and so I'd like to leave you with a two-part question. One, could you please speak to the people of Baltimore City um, and to your employees about why it is you found it worthwhile to advance the public interest through your participation on these boards by trying to improve efficiencies of businesses across the nation uh, through Barcoding Inc., and what you hope your legacy will be for having done uh, those activities? So I'm focusing on creating a better ecosystem for the city, the state, and the country. And I do that by promoting a simpler, easier way to do business. And if business is simple, it'll grow. And if businesses grow, it'll hire people. And if businesses hire people, more people will have self-worth because that's what jobs give. Jobs give people things to do it occupies their time, it empowers them, it gives them a sense of belonging, and it allows people to be part of the community. If we allow people to contribute and be standing members of our society, they will implore that to their children. And that will create a better community for everyone. And that has been Jay Steinmetz, the CEO of Barcoding Inc., Capture Tech, uh, sits on a dozen boards or so, uh, founder of Modern Advocacy LLC, owner of a dozen patents, who speaks about creating a better ecosystem for business, uh, taking the logical syllogism that growth leads to jobs, leads to self-worth, leads to an improved community and a better sense of of belonging. He speaks about a variety of rules that are imposed by state and federal governments uh, that are impossible to follow, that uh, it is uh, not even, it's not, uh, leave alone pragmatism, it's not even possible for businesses to follow the rules of the road uh, and stay on the right side of the law in various states. He's seeking to help uh, businesses and individuals find a vocation, find a calling, and um, introduce greater efficiencies and greater simplicity into business. And whether it's advocating for a standard streamlined sales tax initiative or whether it's uh, driving down um, uh, or or whether it's investing in a community such as Baltimore, which does pose uh, so many challenges to Jay and barcoding, uh, he seeks to advance the public interest by uh, making sure that he's able to build community. So, Jay, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your time. 
This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.